This morning, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 22. As we take a look at Matthew chapter 22 this morning, uh, let's just read it together from verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know you are true, and you teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness, and he said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And so he responded and said, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marveled, and they left him and went their way. Well, the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers, and the first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise the second and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard it, that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, and said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And while the Pharisees gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, He's the son of David. So he answered, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone question him anymore. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father God, I pray, Lord, that our eyes will be open and our hearts willing to receive, that we would not make the mistake of the Pharisees and put ourselves in the place of God to save ourselves. That our attitude would not be the attitude of the Pharisee, but the attitude of the tax collectors and the harlots. God, that you would do your perfect work 
in our life. Father, that you would move. That you would own this time and this place as we seek to honor you with all we do. And we give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we study the scriptures, we, we see Pharisees are always upset about the tax collectors and the harlots coming to Jesus. They're always upset about the sinners coming to him and the fact that he hangs out with them, the fact that he spends time with them at all. And so over and over and over again, the Pharisees try to trip up the teaching of Jesus. They don't hear the words that he's saying. They don't see the heart. They placed in their own lives the understanding that by their good works, they will save themselves. You see, it's not the sin of the Pharisee that separates him from God outwardly. It's the inward sin. It's a scary one. Outward sin's easy to see, right? Inward sin, though. Our motives. What's our motive? What are the motives behind the things we do and the choices that we make? Are we pharisaical? There's only two groups of people the Bible talks about at the time of Christ. Only two groups. Pharisee or tax collector and harlot. Not a lot of people signing up to be the tax collector and the harlots. So my question is, where does it leave us? Jesus told a specific story. We'll get to that in a minute, I think, in regard to this issue. But I want to tell you a little story. The story goes like this. There was a king. And the king had a lot of land. And and next to one of these large sections of land that he had, there was there just a little gardener. And the gardener was was a guy who raised carrots. Oh, we have one of them here with us today. And my understanding is, he's got really good carrots. But this guy did too. In fact, in his harvest, he harvested the biggest, best, most beautiful carrot he had ever seen in his life. And he brought that carrot to the king. And as he brought it to the king, he said, King, man, this is the greatest carrot I have ever seen or will ever see. And I want to give it to you. And the king was so moved by his gift that he said, you know, right next to your garden, I've got this big plot of land. Would you add that to your garden and garden it all for me? And the gardener was stoked. Yeah, for sure. Well, there was a nobleman off on the side watching this whole thing take place. And he saw it and he thought, wow, this is is incredible. This is incredible. I think I kind of get an idea of how this all works. And so the next day, he came before the king with this great stallion. He said, oh, king, this stallion is the greatest stallion I have ever seen or I will ever own. And I want to give him to you. And the king said to him, thanks. And the nobleman wondered, 
What was the difference between what had happened earlier and then? And the king noticed that he had this quizzical look on his face, like, what just happened? And the king said, you know, yesterday a gardener gave me a carrot. Today, you gave yourself a horse. What's your motive? Do you give to get? What's our motive for the way we live our life? Two camps. Two camps. Well, let's take a look at what happens with the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they're trying to trip him. They're trying to cause him to fall. They're trying to cause him to stumble. And I would say in the Pharisees' life, they have removed God from his rightful place, and instead they have set up an altar to self. And on their altar to self, they live a good, moral life. And so God owes them heaven. They live a good life. They do right. They do good things. And God owes them for what they do. So they come to God in the form of Jesus and they try to trip him up. It says in verse 15, the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him. And so they sent their disciples. They didn't go themselves. They sent their disciples and they said to him, Teacher, we know you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone for you do not regard the person. What do we call that? We call that flattery. Is any of it real? Listen, the rabbis taught themselves within the group of Pharisees that of all the different sins that may entangle a man, hypocrisy is the worst. And this is their own words. Hypocrisy will always begin with flattery. So they come before Jesus with flattering words. Oh, we know you're true and you teach the truth. Well, that's a lie. If you knew he was true and he taught the truth, why don't you follow him? Why don't you join the the feast? Why don't you join the banquet? Why don't you come together and sit in that place and enjoy the fellowship of those who are being saved? Of those in whose life God has moved in their heart. Why don't you join them? But the Pharisees won't. Instead, they stand outside and they point their fingers So they ask him this question, tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful for us to pay taxes? For all you guys who hate paying taxes, don't ever read Romans 13. Because Romans 13 says, pay your taxes. I'm sorry. One day, there will be a king of kings and lord of lords. One day Jesus Christ will rule. One day he will sit on the throne. And we won't ever have to worry about taxes again. But until that time, he tells us to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Now it's interesting, when we look at the coin, Jesus says to them, first he calls them hypocrites because he recognizes their flattery, but then he says, let me see the coin. And they hand him the coin. I want you to know what's on that coin. On one side is a picture of Caesar. On the other side 
is another picture of Caesar with people bowing down and worshiping him. On that side it says, Caesar is Lord. And Jesus asked him two questions, didn't he? He said, whose image is on the coin and what's the inscription? What's the inscription? The image that's on the coin, listen, the image is Caesar. So Jesus says, you render to Caesar what is Caesar. That's his coin. It's his monetary system. It's his thing. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But if, if you were to turn it over, he says, render to the Lord, render to God what is his. What, what belongs to God? Worship doesn't belong to the Caesar. Worship belongs to God. To God alone. So Jesus responds to their question. And, and when he responds to their question, they marveled and left. They didn't know what to do with that. You see, they didn't know what to do with the truth. They didn't know what to do with the truth because the truth demands a change in our life. A change in, in who's the rulership in our life. Who sits on the throne of your life? Is it you? Or is it God? Both can't sit there. Who sits on the throne? These guys, they go away. I find it interesting that Jesus said, whose image is on the coin? Let me ask you a question. Whose image are you? Scripture declares that we are all created in the image of God. So, you render to Caesar what belongs to him. But render to God what belongs to him. This is what Jesus was laying out for them. Well, it says, as they left, the Sadducees came. This is a day, all in the same day. The, the disciples of the Pharisees walk away. Here come the Sadducees up. The Sadducees, you probably heard a hundred times. Sadducees are always easy to tell. The Sadducees were the, the liberals of the day. But the Sadducees believed in a literal interpretation of the Scripture. But along with the literal interpretation of the Scripture, they would only agree that the first five books are Scripture. They wouldn't agree with any of the other books. No, nothing else in the Old Testament, just the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's it. And they proclaimed that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy do not teach resurrection, so there's no resurrection. And there are no angels. And they would struggle and fight against anything supernatural. But there were plenty of supernatural things in those first five books. Well, they would work at explaining them some other way, twisting the scriptures, making them use, making them fit their lives. They were the aristocrats of the day. They were the ones in power. They were the ones through whom the high priest came. The Sadducees. So they have a question for Jesus. You ever have people give you a dumb question? Let me give you an example of a dumb question. Can God make a rock so big he can't pick it up? Because if God is all-powerful, then he can make anything. It is what you call a self-defeating question. Self-defeating question is a question that uses the tools of logic in a misrepresenting way. In other words, you build this argument and then you defeat it by the way you form the question. It's a dumb question. That's a dumb. You heard there's no dumb questions. Yes, there are. <laughs> there are dumb questions. This is one of them. This is one of them. The scripture 
taught the, the act of a Leverite marriage. The act of a Leverite marriage, all the land and the inheritance passed down through the firstborn son. And in their society, the wife didn't have a right. So if a wife was married to her brother and she had no son, she would be passed to the next brother who wasn't married... And he would provide for her a son that the inheritance of his brother who died would pass to her. So that the family would be taken care of. So that they would, she would not be destitute and just left out somewhere where nobody cared about them. It kind of changes the whole concept of who your brother's marrying, don't it? <laughs> what do you mean you're marrying her? Brother, you better live a long time if you marry her. That was the, the Leverite marriage. It's one of the, the things that the, the book of Ruth is all about. And our kinsman redeemer. And I, I won't get into all those things. But they, they create this crazy argument, right? Well, this, this brother married his wife and he died. And then all seven brothers married her and all seven brothers died. And then she died. So in the resurrection, whose wife is she? That qualifies as a stupid question. They, they, do they really care? They're trying to show the ridiculousness of the resurrection. I've heard it put this way. How can there be a resurrection? Think of all the people who have died. And they died and they decomposed. And then the cow came and it ate the grass that grew out of the the decomposed soil. And the cow got some of that body inside of it. And then somebody slaughtered the cow. And they ate the cow. And they got some of that body in them. So at the resurrection, how's God going to know where all the pieces go to? Say it with me. Stupid question. <laughs> and so Jesus gives an answer to them. They, they come with this, this ridiculous idea. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, you are mistaken. I love that word in the Greek, you are mistaken, because it means you are wandering lost in space. <laughs> I like that. It's a word that talks about planets outside of their orbit. So I decide that means you are lost in space. I kind of like that. You are mistaken. What's he say? Because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. You don't know the scripture. A Sadducee could quote, I met guys in Israel like this. They could quote any verse you want out of the Old Testament. They had memorized the first five books. I have a hard time memorizing anything. They had five books memorized. One of those being Leviticus. Man, that's a lot of work. They could quote any of them to you, but they didn't know the scripture. It's a long way sometimes to go from the head to the heart, isn't it? Nor did they understand the power of God. They didn't believe that God had power, the power to save the power to change a life, the power to breathe to the dead new life. They didn't believe in, in all those prostitutes and tax collectors that their lives were really going to be different. They didn't believe that God calls the living from the dead. So Jesus said, you don't know the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. He doesn't say they are angels in heaven. This is where some people get the idea that we get a harp and wings and we fly around playing the harp and wings. Now I don't know where the harp comes from, 
Because every time I see an angel, he's got a sword or something like that, and people are afraid. When's the last time you saw someone with a harp and were afraid? <laughs> but it says they are like the angels. It says that the, the, the marriage is something that we experience here on earth. But in heaven, we corporately as the body of Christ are going to be joined to Christ. And our marriages here, good, bad, or indifferent. They, we don't take them with us. We're not married there. We're married to Christ. But then Jesus, he goes on and says one more thing. He says, you also don't understand concerning the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? See, they believed that God spoke the first five books, that he spoke the law, that he spoke those things in, and the people wrote down those things from the very voice of God. And in Exodus chapter 3, Moses says to God, God, i got to tell the children of Israel who you are, and, and I don't know your name, so I don't know how to tell them who sent me to them to deliver them. In Exodus chapter 3, this is what God said. We see it in verse 32, Jesus quotes from Exodus to them. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Did you hear what he just said? He said this in Exodus chapter 3. So let me clear it up for you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead for 400 years. And God did not say, I was the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. What did he say? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are still alive. And so is everyone who dies in Christ. And so is everyone who dies outside of Christ. I am the God of the living, Jesus said, not the God of the dead. And the Sadducees are blown away, and they're astonished at his teaching. And so they walk away. So you have the disciples of the Pharisees come up, try to mess up Jesus, and it doesn't work. They walk away. Then the Sadducees, they come up, and they try to mess him up. And he blows them away by saying, the first five books teach the resurrection because it shows us that God's the God of the living. He is the God of Abraham. Abraham's still alive 400 years after Abraham had died. And so they don't know how to answer him, and they walk away. And so the Pharisees, seeing all these people get beat, they decide it's our turn. Well, we're going to get him. We'll get him. And so when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question and tested him and said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? In the Hebrew, there are 613 characters, Hebrew letters, that make up the Ten Commandments. And there are 613 commandments in the first five books of Moses. Of those 613 commandments, 248 are positive. They correspond with 248 parts of the human body. 365 are negative. Because every day we've done something wrong. 613 commandments. And they would always argue. Now some commandments are more important than other commandments. And they would argue about which were the most important commandments. So the lawyer asked Jesus, which is the greatest? 
And he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest commandment is to love God. Hold on to that. He says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. You remember, so we don't have to get into this, Jesus was asked, well then, who is my neighbor? And he told the story of the Good Samaritan. Everybody know the story of the Good Samaritan? The story of the Good Samaritan basically is this. Everybody's your neighbor. Nobody's not your neighbor. Nowhere on the pages of Scripture will you find a, a thing that tells you, this guy's not your neighbor, so whatever you do, don't help him. God's Word calls us to love God and love people. That that's supposed to be, that's supposed to be our motivation. Remember the story we started with? One man loved the king, and he gave him a carrot. The other man loved himself, and he gave himself a horse, hoping he would receive something great in return. My question is, which way do you love God? Which are you? Which camp do you fall into? While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. We're going to come back to that. So here are the Pharisees. They've got this problem. I want you guys to turn to the right. Turn to the right a few books. You're going to come to the, to the Gospel of Luke. And when you do, stop. Don't go any further. Well, unless you're not to Luke 15. If you're at Luke 15, stop there. If you're past it, turn back. Come to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I want you to hear how Luke chapter 15 opens up. I want you to listen. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained and said, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Which group? You don't get to make a new one. Which group? Chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. Two sons. We all know the story, right? We call it the story of the prodigal son. I have uh, recently read a book I like. The book is called The Prodigal God. And that seemed a little rough to me, you know, the title. How am I getting over this, the prodigal God? What, what's he trying to say? So I looked up the word prodigal. To spend recklessly. Wow. To spend it all. It seems like a pretty good title for God. I always thought prodigal meant something else. Anyways, as we look at this story, we see a story of how many kids? 
two, right? We always focus on one of them. We're not going to focus on one of them. We're going to look at them. Why is Jesus telling them this story? Because here he has sinners, tax collectors, and harlots on one side who are falling down at his feet and coming to know God and their hearts are being changed and God's moving. And on the other side, he's got, he's got Pharisees complaining about them. So he says, a man had two sons. And he tells them the story. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now in that phrase, here's what the younger son is saying. Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. Most Middle Eastern fathers would throw their son out of the family, beat them, and cast them out. But that's not what happens. That's not what he does. What does the next line say? The next line says, So he divided to them his livelihood. That word livelihood is the Greek word bios. It means he divided his life. He tore his life apart. Well, here's how it worked. He has two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the older son, according to Scripture, gets a double portion. Two-thirds goes to him. One-third goes to the younger son. So when the younger son says, I want, I want what I got coming to me, I want what you're going to leave me when you die, the Bible says he, he sold his livelihood, he divided it, he gave a third to the younger son and two-thirds to the older. Tore his life apart so that he could meet the requirement of the younger son who wanted to do what? Who wanted to spend whatever he had in riotous living, Chasing the world, looking to find himself in self-expression, wanting to see everything in their life uh, be, be lived out to the full. So he runs as hard as he can into the world. It says, not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. He spent it all recklessly. Well... After he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. That's a fancy way of saying he became a slave. He joined himself to a citizen. That means he doesn't have rights anymore. Slaves weren't citizens. He joined himself to this man as a a slave, and he went into the fields to feed his pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. But no one gave him anything. He went into the world, chasing the world for all it's worth. He's going to find himself. He's going to experience everything there is to experience. That's the life of the tax collector and the harlot. That's the life of the sinner who sins outwardly. And everybody can see it. Everybody can recognize it. And sooner or later, they come to the end of the opportunity to to live that life. And they run out of everything else. Uh, People call that hitting bottom. They hit the bottom. And they begin to look around. And he begins to look around. And where am I? I am with the pigs. I am still hungry. And what they're eating looks good to me. What's the last time that happened to you? 
I mean, let's make it even a little bit easier. Let's say, when's the last time you walked out the house and you passed by the dog's bowl? And you looked at it and you said, I'm so hungry. I want that. Now, just to find out what it's like, the other day we got this dog and we got this dog and I got some, some of them uh, dog treats and the, the dog would not take the dog treat. So in, in an effort to try to express to the dog that the dog treats were okay, I snatched the dog treat out of the bag and I took a bite out of it. <laughs> and I ate it. <laughs> and then I handed him the bone and he still wouldn't take it. Having eaten it, I don't blame him. <laughs> Wasn't all that good. This guy, he looks at the, what the pigs are eating and he says, man, this, is, this looks good to me. This looks good to me. He's out the bottom. He lived his life sinning outwardly. He's ruined his life. He's lost it all. Everything is gone. To, and there at the bottom it says... He came to himself. You ever have one of those? They call it a come to Jesus meeting. Where you come to yourself. Came to himself and he said, what am I doing here? How did I get here? And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread and more to spare? And here I am perishing with hunger. So I will arise and go to my father. And this is what I'm going to say. Father, I sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me one of your hired servants. He says, I'll present myself to my dad. And and he will make me a slave. And I'll live better than I'm living here. So the scripture goes on. He arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off. Before he uttered a word. Before he said this phrase, I repent, he was forgiven. Chew on that for a minute. What do you mean he's forgiven? When's the last time you've seen a Middle Eastern man run? Do you know what they wore? Big skirts. They don't hike up their skirts and run around like a foolish child, they walk. They're the authority of the home. They're not going to stoop anywhere. That that boy is going to come to me. He's going to come to me right here. And he's going to apologize right here. And when I think he said enough, then I'll forgive him. But that's not what that father did. That father ran to him. He said, I don't care how stupid I look. I don't care how things look to anybody else. I am going to run to him. That's how God comes to the sinner. So he ran to him. He ran to him. And the whole time, the scripture says, as he runs to him, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So I want you to get an idea of what's happening. He runs, he falls on him, he's kissing his, his son, he's all stoked. The son's trying to say, wait a minute, dad, wait, dad, I got some, I've worked up this speech and I want to be able to tell you the speech. But the dad's not listening to the speech. The dad is hugging him and he's kissing him and he's loving him and he's ripping off his robe and he's putting a robe on him and he's taking off his ring and he's putting his ring on him and he's saying, you're not a slave, you're my son. That is the prodigal God who spends it all to love the sinner. 
gives it all. The, the scripture says, the son said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the phrase in verse 22 says, but the father said, bring out the best. But dad's not even listening to him. He's not listening. He says, bring out the best robe. Let me ask you a question. Whose was the best robe in the house? His. And bring out the ring. Do you remember what he did? He divided the inheritance. He took a third of the inheritance and he gave it to, to the younger son and two-thirds to the older son. But now when the younger son comes back, he makes him a son again. That means the other two-thirds is about to get divided again. Oh. Oh, that's going to affect somebody else, isn't it? Dad runs out, and he loves him, and he kisses him, and he puts a robe on him. Whose robe? It's a robe of righteousness, not his righteousness. He knows he doesn't deserve that robe. He receives that robe because he sinned outwardly. He knows he's been to the end of the road, and he doesn't assume he's able to save himself. And he puts a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. That's why I wear flip-flops. Jesus wore them. That way, in case I come across holy ground, they're easier to get off. My boots aren't so hard either, but nonetheless, I digress. He says, bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let's eat and be merry. For my son was dead and he's alive. He is lost and now he's found and they began to be married. Don't you wish that was the end of the story? But the beginning of the story started this way. How many sons? Two sons. One, an example of tax collectors and harlots who sin outwardly. Look, I don't, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I don't think most of us are in that category. We probably like to, uh, we probably like to be in that category when we see what happens. Some of us are. There's two groups of people. The party begins and the father is in with the younger son. And the older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and said, What do these things mean? And he said to him, Your brother came home and because he has received him safe and sound, your father killed the fatted calf. And he was angry and he wouldn't go in so the father came out to him as well listen father loves them both and he humbles himself for both to one he ran to to the other he leaves the party to come outside to do what? To beg his son to come in. Come in. Come, come, come in to the feast, man. Come in. Rejoice. Have joy. But the, but the older son was angry. He was angry and he would not go in. He was angry. He was full of resentment. He was full of bitterness. 
If you think about your life right now, listen. If those three things mark you, anger, resentment, bitterness, your elder son. But the younger son, he's, he's filled with joy. He's been forgiven. He's been restored. He's stoked. The older son is angry. And he resents the things that have happened and the fact that his inheritance has been affected. And he's bitter about the situation. And he's bitter about what he's got. Why? Look what he says. Look what he says. He says, so he answered and said to his father, lo. You see that word, lo? That is a term of extreme and utter disrespect. In Bible speak, they put the word low. Now, that doesn't mean every time you see the word low. But in this case, he is using basically the worst way he could talk to his father. Not with respect, but with animosity and bitterness and resentment. You ever felt that way toward God? Why am I going through this? Why do I have to experience this? Why is this happening to me? Look at the next phrase that the elder son says. He answered and said, These many years I have, that word serving is a word slave. I have been a slave for you. I've slaved for you. Why did you slave for him? Why were you a slave for him? And I never transgressed your commandment at any time. I never did the things that the younger brother did. I didn't, I didn't have all those outward sins. I didn't do all those things. Everybody could see all the bad that he did. I didn't do those things. I'm a good person. You ever said those words? Because in Romans chapter 3, the Bible says opposite. There is no one good and none righteous but one group their sins are on the outside and the other group their sins are on the inside why did the son work for the father all those years to see the father please to see joy on his father's face if that was the reason the motivation that he worked then when the young son came home he would have been stoked for his father was happy but his father's happy and he's upset Because, listen, listen, forgiveness doesn't cost the one being forgiven anything, but it costs somebody else everything. You think about that when it's, you're withholding forgiveness. Because that's why you're withholding it. It costs you something. Then I want you to think about what it costs Jesus. Because it costs him everything. The older, the elder son, he, he won't forgive. What is the sin of the, of the younger son? Selfishness. And he extends that selfishness outward. What's the sin of the older son? Selfishness. But you can't see it because it's in his heart. It's in here. Who's the God of the elder son? He is. I live a good life. God owes me. I'm good. 
The younger son realizes, I have nothing good in me. There's nothing good in me. And so he comes and he's able to love. He's able to fulfill the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the elder brother struggles with the ability to love God. Why? Because he thinks God owes him. He owes me because I kept his commandments. He owes me because I lived a good moral life. He owes me because I didn't do the stuff that the other guy did. That's why Jesus said, you've heard it said in times of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you committed it inside even if nobody saw it. That doesn't just mean guys are sinners. It means we all have those things in our heart, inside of us. He said, I have been serving you and never transgressed. And the father doesn't argue, but he says, you never even gave me a goat, let alone the fatted calf. But as soon as this son of yours, he's no brother of mine. As soon as this son of yours was, was devoured your livelihood with harlots. Look what he did. He was, he's, he's just like the harlots and the tax collectors. You kill the fatted calf for him. The elder brother always can see the blessing in other people's lives and wonder, why isn't that for me? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. That phrase, everything I have is yours, means... But the dad just took away a third of what he had and gave it to his younger brother. Well, that ain't right. Younger brother already spent his inheritance and he don't deserve no more. Really? Is that our place now? We are the keepers of the door. We are the ones who decide right from wrong. If that's who we are, then we are elder brothers. And I want to ask you, what's your motivation? What's the motivation behind why you don't drink, why you don't smoke? Or what's your motivation why you don't curse or why you try to live a good life? Why? Why do you do those things? Because if you do those things to get, you're the second man in the story. And you're giving those things to yourself. And you're saving yourself by your works. Elizabeth Elliot told another story. She said one day Jesus was hanging out with the disciples and as they were getting ready to go, Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, Hey guys, go get a stone and come and follow me. So the disciples go to get a stone and Peter is a thinking guy. As thinking guys, he, he kind of looks around for the stones and he says, You know, Jesus didn't say how big it had to be. So he finds this little stone, this little pebble on the ground, and he scoops it up, puts it in his pocket. And he follows. Jesus says, now good, come follow me. So they follow him, they go to the top of this mountain, and on the top of this mountain, Jesus sits down, and he turns all their stones to bread. And they eat lunch. Peter's lunch didn't last very long. And after lunch... Jesus said to the disciples again, I want you guys to pick up a stone, come follow me. 
So Peter goes, man, I see how this works now. And I'm going to be hungry for dinner. So he finds a small boulder. And he picks it up. He throws it up on his shoulder. Boy, he was barely able to follow Jesus at all. They come down off of that mountain. And down at the bottom of the mountain was a river. And they sat beside the river for dinner. And Jesus said, now, throw your stones in the river. So they threw their stones in the river. But they had this weird look on their face. And Jesus said, what did I say? I said, pick up a stone and come and follow me. Who were you carrying the stone for? And that's the question today. Who are you carrying the stone for? Are you carrying it for yourself? Or do you remember the greatest commandment? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. How does the story of the prodigal son end? It doesn't. Did he go in? Did he stay out? I don't know. Because there are still two sons here. Are you coming in? Or are you staying out? What's our motivation? So Jesus looked to them after all those questions that they had. He said, I got a question for you. Who is Messiah? What do you think? And they answered and responded really quick. They said, he's the son of David. So then Jesus responds to them, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Well, the scripture says in Psalm 110 verse 1, the most quoted verse of the Old Testament in the New, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David called the Messiah Lord. David was king. Who does a king call Lord? Not somebody beneath him, not one of his children, surely. They didn't like where that was taking them. So the Bible says they didn't ask any more questions of him. They didn't ask any more questions, had no more questions, because the answer led them to places they didn't want to go. There's only room in your heart for one God. There's not room for you to be God and Him to be God. There's only room for one. Why do I live the life I live? You see, if I fully recognize all that the Lord gave for me, He said, I would love much. But if I don't think he has to forgive very much, I'll love a little. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. How much? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's two sons. 
Both of them can be saved. Both of them can reject. Younger sons can stay out in the world, living the life any way they want to, and never come back to the Father. Elder sons can repent of their motivation in their heart and ask God to forgive them and recognize their ability that they need to learn to forgive. Why do people not forgive people? They don't forgive people that they think they're better than. If they see someone sinning like they sin, they realize, well, you know, I could do that too, so I'm able to forgive. But they see someone doing something so bad they can't even begin to understand or fathom it, and they won't forgive because they think they're better. None of us can touch the stars. If I'm in Death Valley and you're on Mount Everest, none of us can touch the stars. We can't do it. We fall short. All of us. Younger brothers and elder brothers. When we look at the scriptures as we close out today, and as we consider the things that God's word laid out for us, remember the story. A man had two sons. Which one will you be? What choice will you make? It's in your hands. Hear God call. I gave it all for you. And I do it again and again. And if you stand outside and you're harboring resentment and bitterness and anger and an unwillingness to forgive, like the elder brother, if you're out in that place, know this. The Father is right beside you saying, come in. If you're living your life out like sowing your wild oats and losing your ever-loving mind, the Father is racing to you saying the same thing. Come in. Grace is free. Doesn't matter, doesn't cost you nothing. Nothing. He paid it all. All. All I owe him is a debt of love. A debt of love. That's easy to repay if I understand the price that was paid. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for a time to study your word. We thank you for a time to open the pages of scripture. Thank you for an opportunity, God, and pray, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would, would speak. Lord God, the, the things that we talk about that aren't of you, just wash them out of our brain like so much garbage. But that which speaks to us from you, Lord God, may we hold on to it. Let's be good soil. Not choked out by the cares of this world. Or by the time of suffering, good soil, receive the truth of God's word. Looking for fault or looking to the king. Love little, love much. May each and every one of us, whether elder or younger brother, May we hear the call to come in. May we set aside our motivation or the outward experiences of our life. May we lay those things down and come to the one who gives life and gives it freely. 
to the one who lets us come in, to the one who paid it all. Oh, let us come. Just as I am. I don't do nothing else. I can't be nothing else. I am what I am. That's what Paul said. I am what I am. But what I am, I commit to Christ. And he makes me so much more. God minister life to us today. Speak to the dead. And let them rise again into new life. A new creation created in Christ Jesus. Speak to the living. Harboring bitterness and anger and resentment. To enter into the feast. To relinquish their hurts. And their hang ups. To the hands of almighty God. Stop worrying about being the one who decides what's right and wrong and commit what's right and wrong to the maker of the universe, the creator of all things. Help us to anticipate God's help. His help in enabling us to forgive. His help in making us a new creation. Guard us, Lord God Almighty. Guard us from the spirit of the Pharisee. I don't want to stand outside the feast angry about who you let in. I just want to come in and let you be the judge. I want you to be my Savior because I can't save anybody especially myself. God, I pray that you meet us in this place. And as we close in worship, God, that your spirit would move. And Lord, as there is going to be prayer counselors around the room, if somebody's here and doesn't know you or wants to repent of their elder brotherhood or younger brotherhood, they want to come to know the truth of walking and standing in you as their Lord and Savior and set aside all the anger, resentment, bitterness, to set aside the riotous living and to come to you with just a simple response of love for what you've done for us. Lord, I pray, God, you move in a mighty way in this place as we honor you. For you truly are our Father. You truly are my elder brother who doesn't wait outside angry, but you sought me and you bought me. When nobody else was looking, you were looking. You came. You bought. And I owe you a debt of love. May that be my motivation for everything I do. And we give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close in worship, I invite you guys to worship with us. And as prayer counselors are around the room, if there's something on your heart, something you need to pray about, something you need to deal with, I encourage you to go to them.
Go to your Father and be blessed.